Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Science Faction. The only show where a scientist, a comedian, and a comedian scientist come together to discuss science. Comedically. Hello, and welcome to Science Faction 671. Science Faction, where Indo-European languages came from, and new eDNA. Like, a, you know, e-signature, you know, it just uses Adobe to complete your signature. You now sure. can just, like, come on an uh, Adobe product. Yes. And it will just e-DNA you, like, so you don't, like, so you, you paternity. Yeah, no, even better. This is how mating will be done. Like, you you masturbate to something on the internet. You come onto some kind of specialized scientific slide. It digitizes, scientific PDF. Yeah, it digitizes your <laughs> sperm into, like, binary that codes for A, T, C, and G in a certain cycle. It then prints that exact same sperm out at a different location in, like, a, you know, IVF facility right as it's about to be used, so it's fresh and everything. And then they inject what is essentially, like, a digitized version of your sperm into somebody to create children, so you never even have to have sex. So it must choose just specifically one sperm. And, but like, yes. I, it, I, yeah. I, but that sperm, but like, unlike in real life, that sperm would have to win the contest of getting to the egg. Like, there's some sort of like, of like accomplishment. One of the ways they fund it is uh, through uh, sponsorships, like paid corporate sponsorships. And so uh, the way they do it is it's like an American Ninja Warrior, but for sperm. (laughs) So each one is competing in like a marine obstacle training course to see who can be the biggest one. But instead of like, they don't want to reward like the most aggressive sperm, right? Or the one that just gets there the fastest, like we usually do in in biology. Instead, there's like one of the categories, like one of the, the relay races is haiku, like you have to express yourself. <laughs> you get a you get you know it really uh, you get much more uh, evened out combatants uh, yes. in their skill pool if they have to yes. uh, do an act of endurance and read a haiku. Yes, no, not read. Create. You write your oh. own. These are warrior poets, Damien. I'm, I'm <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of the warrior poet of this show, I of course am your host, comedian archaeologist Robert Timothy, and with me as always is the no-holds-barred natural selection is the only way brutal for sperm winner of the race, none other than Mr. Damien Mercado. Damien, how you doing? I'm Mr. Nature versus Nurture, baby. No, no nurture. <laughs> Fuck psychology. Um, the last time, remember that uh, that that fad of Japanese gaming shows were like pre-American Ninja Warrior. There yes. was, I think, it was Max MC or something, where yeah. uh, an American studio, uh, thanks to the writer's strike, bought a bunch of old Japanese, uh, painful Japanese, you know, gauntlet footage footage. Yeah, and then they like narrated it with some like sports announcers and everything. That all happened because SAG went on strike. The writers and, and uh, I'm sorry, the writers went on strike uh, uh, at that yeah. time, so they were looking for any content they could. Well. Guess what? The writers and SAG have just gone on strike again. You have talked about uh, a sperm obstacle course. I'm just saying, with some wacky sound effects, Bobby, you and I could have the next big hit on Fox. Uh, dear. My favorite part about those shows, if you ever do watch any of those old like Japanese game shows where they get where they're, it's it's not like our game shows where it's like, oh, you're gonna fall down into a foam pit if you lose, and there'll be a sound going wah wah wah, and your feelings might be hurt. They're like, all right, if you land here, there are spikes, and then in this pit, there's a bear, and like you're like, what? <laughs> This is horrible. And then you're like, man, what are they winning? Like a million dollars? And honestly, it's like a jug of laundry detergent is the champion's prize on most of those shows. 
Things in Japan must be far more dystopian than everybody's polite demeanor and and karate movie. Either that or this is like a ex- great example of what you can do with nationalized healthcare. You could like this is how you could sell this to the <laughs> south. You could be like, look, they don't have to worry about the fact that they're going to the ER after getting like a two pack of light bulbs because it doesn't matter. There's no money out of their pocket, and people are like, well, now you're making a very good point. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> look, this guy, you could see, you could see his crotch muscles split open as he falls into the water, and he doesn't care because socialized medicine. Uh, and if you'd like to get a piece of socialized medicine, go ahead and look for our Patreon. You can search Robert Timothy on Patreon, uh, where you get four extra science articles every single week. There also must not be a word for suing people in Japan. Yes. It's called dishonor. That's the word. <laughs> like, like the thought, like, like, like if what, if, if I uh, lost my phone on a, on a, on the set of The Bachelor, I could sue yeah. The Bachelor for mental distress. Sure. <laughs> it's like in Japan, if I uh, split my crotch because they created an insanely unsafe obstacle course. <laughs> yeah. They're like, like, honestly, on some of those, they're like, look, we made a, we took one of them car robots that usually weld on doors onto a Mitsubishi in the factory. We took one of those and gave it a baseball bat and it might get you. So you better make it through quick. And sometimes somebody doesn't make it through and like, it's pretty brutal. <laughs> then you've dishonored your ancestors. So don't even bother coming home. Uh-uh. Uh, dear, let's move right on to science articles. From molecules to particles, this is Science Articles. All right, article number one. I'm sorry, I was doing Awful Neutral today, uh-huh. and uh, uh, some people couldn't make it, so we had an episode about mental health and depression and everything. And um, I was mentioning some of the studies from this show. Sure. Uh, that that were pertinent, you know, like things like uh, like Japanese uh, car building robots with baseball bats <laughs> yeah. and, and their effect on depression. <laughs> it turns out they increase it. <laughs> a lot of anxiety turns out overall over a big enough population graph. <laughs> there are some very interesting individuals for whom they decrease depression, but for the most of the people on this curve. So, so we so after telling all of our fans uh, that if they have some sort of murder baseball robot in their house, it's probably better for their depression to get rid of it. And, and uh, they stopped and they said, "Do you ever mention awful neutral on that show?" And I had to remind them that yes, I do. And against a massive protest from Bobby, every time I do, I plug awful neutral. That's not because I think it's bad or anything. Like I don't think you do bad work. I just think it's immoral to have a Dungeons and Dragons podcast. I agree that you have mm-hmm. funny people on it and stuff. I, I just don't agree with the morality of promoting a Dungeons and Dragons based podcast. Yeah, 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 this same show, my show tried to get murder baseball robots out of our fans' house. <laughs> we still advise them to be in the house for certain clients. So, I mean, for certain listeners. So, uh, I think uh, Awful Neutral's hands have infinitely less blood on them than Science Faction's hands. Infinitely. Oh, dear. Article number one, where Indo-European languages come from. Uh, I'm guessing if it's not, okay, um, if it's Indo-Europeans, see, you've you've called them that for a while, and I know that's basically all of the European language we think of, but... 
and all the way down into India. Yeah, because there yeah, are some there's some like Hindu and some of the other ones that are based out of Indo-European languages as well. Hence the Indo part of it. And that was recognized a long time ago by linguists and stuff. But it, it's a large language family that then because of colonialism and stuff where all the people on the European side of the Indo-European part went and spread those languages to other hemispheres and stuff. Those ended up becoming incredibly prominent. And so now they're spoken in like two thirds of the Earth's surfaces, you know, speaks those Indo-European languages now. Okay, I guess uh, we, you know, despite be spending years on a science podcast where we talk about human migration, I, I, I never knew that uh, our languages. Or, I know that Indo-European, but the fact that they were uh, related to Southern A- Indian languages always blew yes. my mind. Especially when you consider they're so much closer to like other major powers, like Chinese and like other established yeah. languages. It must be. Is it that hard to go? Like, is it much easier to get from India to England than it is to get to India to Beijing? Yeah, because the Himalayas aren't in the way. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, well, there there is that. There are the mountains. But also, it's not all Indian languages, right? There's a subgroup of Indian languages that are Indo-European. There are other groups that have other bases. There are others that have more Asiatic, Eastern Asiatic bases and stuff. But there is just a group of, of languages that are, that are there. But it's an incredibly important topic because it not only, you know, affects two-thirds of the Earth's surface in terms of what language people are speaking, but it also kind of gives an idea of what was going on in those times because that spread of language is reflecting either the spread of people themselves or culture or people's ideas or some combination thereof in between. But it gives us an idea of how these areas got settled and these groups got made and these languages came about. We've talked about this a bunch on our show because we can trace bits of it back to certain parts. We talk about how we're all kind of Turkish farmers at heart, so to speak, all Europeans, because essentially they all of the hunter-gatherers from Europe, except for a few select places, got wiped out by Anatolian farmers and then hunter-gatherers and stuff like that that came through over and over again. And that is likely why all those places have Indo-European languages. Those people brought them with them, which means that understanding where they came from helps us understand the settlement patterns of an entire continent and then, you know, further off into other continents as well. So the two competing hypotheses are that they either spread with early farming, like close to 10,000 years ago, like nine or some thousand years ago, which is called the Anatolian model. And that's coming out of, you know, not just Turkey, but coming out of the Fertile Crescent area where, you know, wheat was domesticated, all of that kind of stuff. And uh, the other one comes a little bit more recently, maybe like 6,000 years ago, and that's the Pontic Caspian Steppe. And that's where we see not only just draft animals, but especially horses and stuff come out of that region, a bunch of other stuff. So maybe it's coinciding with horses. This is a super interesting study, and I think it was really underreported. And when it was reported, not reported correctly, not sh- and, and the very interesting part of it was not emphasized. So I really wanted to kind of lay some of that foundation and that groundwork so you can understand why this is such a kick-ass article. Because it sounds like it's a distinction, like without a difference, but this is really different. One, either this huge language family that comes to dominate most of the world either comes you know, from 6,000 years ago in one place or 9,000 years ago in another, and we don't quite know why. And that's a big difference. And like also important to the idea of which cultures spread that language and why and how it got to where it was. So like, this is actually one of those real mysteries in archaeology, human paleoanthropology, all that stuff, genetics, that we are still evolving and solving. And we've covered a few of the stories that tie into it, which we will get to as we, we go through this one. You, you mentioned earlier that we all have a little Turkish farmer yeah. And us right now. And I'm like, like, I'm trying to like, you know, I'm at my therapist right now and I'm trying to talk to my inner Turkish farmer. Yeah. And there's like, and I'm, and I'm picturing like the, uh, the crossover of, of an American farmer and a Turkish one. 
And it's like kind of just a really like redneck Middle Eastern farmer. My friend, my friend, try this in a small town. Try hunter gathering in small town. Will not work out for you. By the way, I'm Russian. <laughs> I do like, by the way, that it's not just you talking. It should just be you, Damien, with like holding like an Xbox controller, talking to an ancient Turkish farmer. <laughs> so, you want to play Halo? What is Halo? Is that where you avoid trying to die and get Halo because you are uh, because uh, you've uh, to to appease God or uh, to avoid uh, ancient uh, uh, curses? No, man, I'm just talking uh, like, uh, man, I'm going to destroy you. Your KD ratio probably sucks. Yes, I have killed several people and died zero times, my KD ratio. I have killed hunter-gatherers for trying to mate with my daughter several times. (laughs) And uh, our previous attempts to try and kind of uh, flush this out based on languages and genetics and stuff are kind of convoluted by the historical events that happened later and the complete takeover of populations and retakeover and shifting of boundaries and how languages have flowed back and forth and stuff. Basically, the last 5,000 years or so of pre-modern to modern history has kind of evaporated a lot of the the telltale signs of that. So this is kind of interesting. This analysis came out with a very different number. It wasn't the 6,000-year-old number. It wasn't the 9 or 10,000-year-old number. They used a big language analysis to come to the conclusion that the language is probably about 8,100 years old, with five main branches already split off by about 7,000 years ago. And this kind of actually fits into both models in a way. So the way they did this is interesting in and of itself. So here's a quote. They constructed a new data set of core vocabulary from 161 Indo-European languages, including 52 ancient or historic languages. Pause quote. So they didn't just use the ones that we have existing now. They used uh, now dead languages that we knew to be Indo-European. Resume quote. They used recently developed ancestry-enabled Bayesian phylogenetic analysis to test whether ancient written languages such as classical Latin and Vedic Sanskrit were the direct ancestors of modern Romance and Indic languages, respectively. End quote. So they basically used large models to take a whole bunch of different Indo-European languages, some of which aren't even spoken anymore, and see when they split off from. These are all estimates, but they are basically able to say, well, look, if this one split from here and these people split at this time, how long ago would this be? And the idea is that it's closer to about 8,000 years ago. Again, this should all be very much taken with a grain of salt. That's not the cool part of this because that is a very tentative way to try and determine when language came to a place or when it started to exist or anything like that. But what is interesting is how it references studies we've talked about on this show. David, I don't know if you remember because it was somewhat obscure, but we talked about a study on this show where despite the fact that it looks like, you know, we think we get Indo-European languages from these groups like the Yamanaya and stuff that domesticate horses or at least get really good with them in the areas that are kind of just north of Turkey around there. We don't grow them. We still we, we just find them in the wild domestic like they're like Pokemon. Yes. We don't yes. we don't breed them. We just like we go out to the wild use a horse ball <laughs> which is way harder to throw than you think like if you ever want to throw a metal ball that could encapsulate a horse <laughs> many human lives died because they threw their back out trying to capture a horse with a horse ball and like by the way nine times out of ten you just crush the horse because again this has to be large enough <laughs> That's why these people were so good at it. You, you, like your average tribe of humans would kill more horses than they'd tame. That's why they were so good at it, this tribe of Yanazi. Uh, not even close to the name, but fi- fair Damn enough. Uh- <laughs> I, I am a Yaki Indian, and I was wondering if there was relation, but because I can't pronounce it. 
Yamnaya. Uh, yeah. So the idea is that, and when we when we analyzed it, we found that those horse people had spread some Indo-European languages, but then it didn't seem like they had spread it directly to the Anatolian area, like the Turkey area itself. It was really confusing. Well, this might actually solve that issue. the 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 language model seems to indicate that even though the language itself kind of developed maybe eight thousand years ago, it branched off early, and one branch went up north, and it developed not up in the Anatolian area, but developed down in like the Fertile Crescent area, and in one early branch spread up into that Ponic Caspian uh, steppe area and spread out from there. So it is kind of like a hybrid between the two. It's like, yeah, the language itself was developed much older and uh, much closer to the early farming communities way down there in the Fertile Crescent. But then an early branch of that spread to those horse people up north, and they're the ones that did most of the spreading later on. The centaurs. Yes, this is how we get centaurs. <laughs> yeah, one time uh, the steel ball landed on top of Frank and one of the horses and it mashed them together. And that's the story of the first centaur. I feel like there could have very easily been an early 90s, possibly late 80s sitcom about a guy who gets into a bad car accident. It's similar to RoboCop, but they, they didn't have like a bottom half transplant available for him. Like there were no human who had been in an equally bad car accident in their top half, <laughs> but they did have some technology that could like adapt you to a horse's body just just long enough to keep you alive, right? Have a circulatory system and you can get around. This is a stuff. police horse. <laughs> this is a police Clydesdale of 30 years. Yeah. We're giving them the respect yeah, of becoming a RoboCop. They combine them. Uh, and like the guy, of course, because it was the early nineties, for some reason, his lifelong name had to hint at what he would be. So like his name was like Jonathan Centini and all of his friends called him Senti. And so then he became like Senti the Centaur. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's been a lot of complaints in my life, but no complaints from Mrs. Centaur. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Actually, she has to go to the hospital for UTIs or trauma, <laughs> vaginal trauma, multiple times a month. <laughs> There's a lot of complaints from her. Yeah, we uh, we don't have sex anymore. No. By the way, uh, the New Yorker put out an article about uh, the horrors of uh, penis enlargement surgery. This is a oh, yeah? reputable magazine doing, uh, they, like, there are very few articles that, like, stick with me and provide nightmares. This is one of them. If you ever want to damage yourself and find out just how horrible of an idea penis enlargement surgery is, read oh, that yeah. New Yorker article. It's pretty recent. Just Google it. I'm sure it'll come up. The point is is that uh, a lot of people who elect for this surgery end up feeling like Mrs. Centaur. Um, I, I like it. it this, it, this, this surgery pleases nobody, least of all the woman you're banging. Oh <laughs> uh, dear. Uh, anyway, super cool story about basically the origin of the language that you are hearing me speak in the language that, you know, has led to being spoken in more than half, more than two thirds of the places on earth. And is just really, really interesting because it also models sweeps of agriculture that, that dominated that continent and then later sweeps of horses and herding and farm and draft animals and all that kind of stuff very 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 cool stuff and uh, uh of course damien you'd be able to speak to that anatolian farmer because we're speaking into european languages that's the way that works right you can understand spanish and hindi and <laughs> romanian yeah. and all of that so uh ye like there's a little known fact amongst like you know a ma works mama works in all like languages sure. amongst all indo-european language uh as a as a callback to farming yeehaw means the same thing in all Indo-European languages. 
<laughs> let's attack that person of another race. That's <laughs> <laughs> all. Pe- all all gay teenagers who grew up in Indo-European language small farming communities are terrified. Oh dear. Article number two: New eDNA study is awesome and scary. Yeah, I, I, whatever you do, nobody come on this PDF. It'll sign the. It'll sign it for me. That's that's how you have illegitimate ki- kids at that point. If you're, it's no longer a sex based thing. It's like who can sneak whose semen onto the semen scanner or semen fax machine, it, like while the other guy isn't <laughs> looking, and then he, he would have to raise your kids, much like you know if if uh, you got in and with his wife in the in the olden days, if you slept <laughs> with his wife. Like this sounds like like if we went further into like you know the demolition man universe. Yeah. Like uh, this, this sounds like some like uh, like 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 a way that marriages have ended in the Demolition Man universe. Like somebody jerked off on your fucking. Uh... By the way, uh, you know, I, I was listening to a breakdown of that movie and uh-huh. about the three seashells and everything, and unspoken and, and like he ends up he you know the three seashells. If you've seen Demolition Man, uh, he ends up using like cursing and ends up using like his tickets from cursing to wipe his ass. You know, like he tickets, but unspoken to that, he just was walking around with a shitty ass. For, for several days in this movie until he could, he'd have to like shit, really not clean up, go curse in front of one of these machines, get toilet paper, and then go back. Like, it totally rechanges the movie. It just changes the movie when you imagine Sylvester Stallone has a shitty ass for 90% of it. I do like that we're like a science comedy and demolition man trivia podcast. Like, oh, hey, did you notice? Sylvester <laughs> so Stallone's a character actor. He actually had a shitty ass. <laughs> the entire filming. So uh, this is a super interesting new eDNA study. We've talked about eDNA or environmental DNA a bunch, a bunch of, this is basically a burgeoning new field and a bunch of different papers are coming out. It seems like almost weekly or monthly. We talked about one recently where they did, you know, eDNA on the sand and were able to pull out everything from the research, from the like people who had walked on the sand, who knows hours, maybe days earlier and stuff. So uh, we talk about eDNA in terms of archaeology and being able to test lake sediments for when human proteins arrive or when, you know, you can see human DNA, you can pull it out of the dirt, the clay in places like Siberian caves with extinct species of humans. Really interesting. It's basically just a DNA that we leave in the environment because remember we're already we're always shedding ourselves we're coughing we're sneezing we're pooing we're yelling and spittle is coming out you know like we're always you're you're, sometimes you're trying to come on a slide to try and get heritage (laughs) of a child that you don't have to raise we've also talked about how hard it's going to be to get away with murder uh, yeah. In the future, because we're always leaving DNA. Somebody just comes it's, in with a little Dyson vacuum and uh, yeah. finds some skin cells. And that's not like a fictional thing. We're already doing that. There's a, a product called MVAC, which is used by forensic technicians, that is literally a vacuum that sucks it up and has a special filter that will catch living, will catch cells and stuff. And then you can scan the DNA and you can figure out if someone was like, you know, like spitting or coughing or maybe even breathing a lot in that room or left hair behind or whatever. Like, very, very interesting. You're just going to incentivize people to use arson to kill. <laughs> well, we even covered a study out, uh, a Danish study uh, out of Denmark a while ago about them going into a zoo and just capturing, using a proprietary device that they made to basically capture a bunch of air, kind of like an MVAC, but instead of sucking device, like an MVAC, you, you run across the, the surface of devices. This instead just sucked in air and grabbed all the air and filtered out some DNA out of it. And then they were able to, in that zoo study, which we covered, I don't know, maybe a year or two ago, they were able to tell all the like or a bunch of the animals that were in the zoo just from the air around them and that was crazy we talked about how that was crazy 
Wow. But that's also a zoo where animals are confined to a small area. So there's way more animals, obviously, per given square foot than anything. So that, you know, it's a little bit easier. Also, stuff gets cleaned a lot at a zoo and pressure washed. So there's a lot more stuff up in the air. Uh, there's there's vehicles moving around that have those animals in them. So they can move. The, so like there is an but, element but there's of there's also that's a huge a, genetic variation between all these yes. animals, you know, like, like yeah. where, exa- where if I said if, uh, if I brought it into a crowd of people and it picked out all the DNA of all the people and said what that's sure. too that's way more impressive. I mean sure, both sure. are impressive. Both are impressive. Well, but, we're going to get to that because that's kind of where where I think this is going, but this is still just doing it's the same group and this time they were like, "All right, we hear you guys. That was a really interesting study. Everybody was like, this is cool. We talked about it on the, on this show how it was cool." But they then they were like, "Well, let's try it in kind of the forest in the real world, so to speak." And so they went out to a Danish forest and they left this thing out for 3 days. They came on back And they were able to show from just three days of vacuuming in the air, they found traces of 64 animal species. And what's interesting is most of a lot of them were domestic animals because this is in a rural area. The the forest is near. So there was like cows and pigs and sheep and then things like dogs and chickens and stuff, things that you would have on a farm nearby, which made sense because there were farms nearby. Uh, Then there were like wild animals, things like deer, badgers, eagles, foxes birds squirrels like all that kind of stuff but then there was like weird ones that they didn't understand they were like "Uh oh something must be wrong like we got peacock here and then they were like wandering around and one of the one of the locals was like no no there's peacocks here like yeah we have a few peacocks running around don't worry about it like but the point (laughs) is it worked like they didn't even know those animals were there so like what a great blinding test by the way but they it turned out it worked what's crazy is three days of air sucking in and they were able to observe way more animals than they could see sitting there so that brings up a really interesting point in terms of using this as like a field biologist i work with field biologists all the time they get paid sometimes to just sit around and look and count all the animals they see and write them all down well you could do way better with one of these boxes just sitting there sucking in that air and get a get like most of the animals that are around so one that is awesome that is a really really cool like discovery that's a cool thing that we have access to now that's going to change the biological world and it's going to let us know about species that we might not observe in certain areas that are there it's going to be great it's going to be awesome it's going to put the whole bigfoot thing it's going to be even harder to, to hawk when you were being able to describe all the animals by their dna in some place the, the the audience you want to reach with that bigfoot thing doesn't give a fuck if it proves it wrong however that's true uh, uh, if it proves it right that's all or if they're if they if it finds like an unidentified piece of dna in the pacific northwest then you will never hear the end of it. Yeah, I think what I would I would probably have to use AI to create a deep fake of an actual of like something that looked like a Bigfoot and he was caught on video and then and then the guy behind the camera is like, oh look, I caught you, Bigfoot. And he's like, all true believers, uh, if you keep believing and talking about it, then like they're gonna come after me and the government's gonna shoot me. So please, if you really believe in me, stop talking about me to everybody you fucking know. Please. And then he goes away and then all the true believers are like, yeah, we're gonna this is like fight club now. And everybody just gets to live happy. No, I, I think they're more interested in being right than they are in protecting the noble Bigfoot, the noble Sasquatch. <laughs> we're tired of being made fun of by city folk. <laughs> That's the West Coast redneck. So that's it's, it's a very specific type of, of rural idiot. I will tell you, Damien, there is something that you brought up that I think is absolutely where this necessarily will go, which is 
you will be able to just set this up instead of in the middle of the forest, in the middle of a downtown Times element Square. of a city. Yeah, exactly. And pull in a bunch of DNA. And the next time you have a serial killer or serial rapist DNA, but you don't have no idea who they are because you can't find them through the through regular DNA. You can't find them through genetic genealogy. You just like go to the neighborhoods where they have been raping people and you put one of these out for a long time and then you suck it in. You try and narrow down where they are and uh, eventually figure out, you know, what's where who that person is. That's a great application. I think another application, if it just like finds people's long lost dads who went out for cigarettes, oh. like, <laughs> like oh, we found this uh, this uh, uh, deadbeat dad in this community. We should call it the Mori Box. <laughs> yeah, yes, I'll get like a red light cam. Like you, like when you when you do your taxes, part of being part of like people, <laughs> uh, the government wanting people to get into it. Like, do you want us to locate any family members uh, with their genetic evidence? If we de- decide it, and you click yes, and then it's just kind of like a speeding ticket camera. You get like a, <laughs> like you, a picture of your dad walking through Times Square. But as he walks by, the boss the box will yell, "You are the father! You are the father!" <laughs> Yeah, then he has to do his own Logan Run situation where he's out running child support. <laughs> <laughs> well, guess I'm moving to Alaska. Going, I <laughs> guess I got to go back. But in this dystopian, no, you know what? I'm going to go say, go ahead and say utopian. In this utopian future, <laughs> child support is actually now the name of an American Gladiators esque character who tracks down deadbeat dads. <laughs> <laughs> You cannot outrun child support. <laughs> he has great quads. I was super happy that like the kid that I uh, like I'm a deadbeat dad, and then you know uh, the kid the, the kid died. You know car accident, rest in peace. But I was super excited because I thought it ended my child support. Turns out no, that debt dies with me, not the child. <laughs> <laughs> so. Oh, dear. Well, thank you, audience, for coming back to Science Factions 671, where you learned all about where Indo-European languages came from and how eDNA is both awesome and scary. Thanks so much for joining us, and come on back next week for Science Faction 672. Yes, it is me, Damien's inner Turkish farmer. There is old Turkish saying... Murder your neighbor, take all of his things and all of his wives, because there is no law enforcement that can stop you. You've been listening to Science Fiction. Wait, that's not right. 